Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Bruski and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel this week, which of course includes the always peppy and happy Jorna Taylor. Jorna's a a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna. Good morning, Wisconsin. Oh, listen to that. See? <laughs> eh, we all know that is not our, our Jorna. But anyways, we Robert Craig, executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert, welcome. Good morning, everyone. So this week, we have a number of issues we want to get to, particularly some things that were happening in the legislature. We'll hit on uh, the state of the state, but we are going to start this podcast off with a big announcement here at Citizen Action that we are announcing today, Thursday, we record Thursday, uh, that Citizen Action is endorsing Judge Joe Donald for state Supreme Court. We're very excited about this, and we're equally excited that this morning we have Judge Joe Donald to join us to tell us a little bit more about his campaign. Thanks for joining us, Judge. Good morning. I'm delighted to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Um, and yeah, I'm working hard to ensure that you know, we, uh, we have fairness and impartiality on our state Supreme Court. You know, it is extremely important. This race is very important uh, for people to have integrity in the court and, and belief that the court is doing its role and function of ensuring that rights are protected, that people have access to justice. Uh, so I, I'm working very hard to make sure that that message gets out. And with your endorsement, I am confident that we will we will ensure that the message gets out, that people will be engaged and involved, and we'll be able to get our court back. Judge, this is Robert. Can you say a little about your uh, long career as a judge? Because obviously that's uh, the primary qualification uh, to, to, to be elevated to the highest court in Wisconsin. Well, Robert, I'm, I'm in my 20th year as a circuit court judge. Uh, and, uh, you know, essentially I am a trial court judge. I am where most, in the, if not fact, all cases that eventually end up in the Supreme Court start in the trial court. And uh, it is my experience in the trial court. I've handled all kinds of cases, criminal, civil, juvenile, probate. Uh, I've made family court orders. I, I've, I've done just, just about every area that you could possibly do as a judge. And that experience has allowed me to, to really understand and appreciate the importance of ensuring that an adequate record is developed, that parties are given an opportunity to be heard, and that uh, you know the rulings can be made such that when people walk out of my courtroom, even if they, they, they're on the losing side, at least we'll have uh, a sense of, of confidence and fairness that, they're, they're, that they were heard. Um, and, and that's what our system of justice is about, ensuring, the, ensuring fairness, ensuring that people are heard and that, the, and that we uh, you know, make the right decisions. So uh, I wholeheartedly uh, believe that my experience as a, a, as a trial court judge uh, makes me eminently qualified to sit on our state Supreme Court. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. This is Jorna. Um, my question to you is, is this. You know, this is a three-way primary coming into February, and then the general election, it'll come down to two of you, um, and hopefully one will be you, <laughs> in in April. And so that you've got a wide variety of candidates, and you seem to be presenting a you know independent message. You were appointed to the circuit court in 1996 by then-Governor Thompson. Um, talk to me a little bit about, you know, as much as we don't want politics to enter this race, um, your electability, though, in this race and your message. 
Well, well, John, I've, I've spent my whole life kind of bridging gaps. And, uh, you know, you pointed out I was appointed by Tommy Thompson, a Republican, but I've been endorsed by Herb Cole, a Democrat. So, you know, I've, I've been able to bridge those gaps uh, with, you know, my personality, my life experiences, and, and how I approach problems in life. Um, you know, growing up uh, in Milwaukee as an African-American, you know, I, I've seen huge disparities, disparities in income, disparities based on race. And, uh, but I, I've not let those things kind of, you know, define who I am or what I'm capable of achieving. And I think that it is, um, you know, extremely important that we work hard to ensure that, you, you know, the, the, the rational and reasoned voices are heard. Because what the citizens of this state want is a justice who is going to be fair and impartial, who's going to be principled, and who has integrity. And, and that's the message that I am uh, you know, working hard to ensure that people understand and hear. Uh, I, I know that there's divisiveness in our state, divisiveness on our court, but we need to get beyond that because the issues are extremely important. They involve quality life issues. They involve the, the whole future of the, of the, of the state. And so I'm working hard to be that rational, reasoned voice uh, on our state Supreme Court. Judge, uh, there are a lot of issues with the criminal justice system in Wisconsin. We incarcerate nearly double what uh, what is incarcerated in Minnesota, a similarly sized state, and we have the highest rate of African-American incarceration in the country, higher than places like Texas and Oklahoma, by a substantial margin. And you have a lot of nonviolent offenders being incarcerated who are then branded, then do not get a start in life, and then are in many ways treated as second-class citizens for the rest of their lives. And I know that you have been a leader in modernizing our justice system uh, with drug treatment courts where you get to the root cause of drug addiction and poverty uh, rather than uh, basically throwing people in jail and destroying their lives at great cost to themselves and to society. So can you talk a little bit about how you got involved and and, and what your involvement is in uh, in modernizing our our justice system, especially with the drug treatment courts? Well, for me, it just sort of made sense. And I mean, in terms of dollars and cents, in addition to, you know, our, our corrections budget is actually, uh, you know, three times the size of Minnesota. So, you know, we're, we're spending an inordinate amount of money. And, and I often tell people, yes, you know, I understand the importance of locking up dangerous people. I'm currently on a homicide calendar. So I get that. But uh, people who suffer from addiction, who have mental health issues, we need to figure something else out. Confining them does not address those issues. And uh, I, I firmly believe, and I can see that, you know, this can be verified in the research and the outcomes of treatment courts, that when you do address issues of addiction and issues of mental health, you actually put that person in a better position, you transform their lives, and they're less likely to come back into the criminal justice system. So, uh, you know, I, I believe that I'm right on this issue. Uh, it's one that I uh, worked very hard in terms of creating the drug treatment court uh, with many other parties who are concerned about it. I think uh, the citizens of this state are concerned about it, particularly uh, in the fact that we are in the throes of a heroin epidemic. And uh, this isn't something that you can incarcerate your way out of. So we really need to educate folks. We need to make sure that we have treatment in place, uh, uh, which will actually transform and save lives. Before before you go, we'd, I'd like to get your comment on uh, one final issue, and that is 
the, the Supreme Court is, I think everybody knows, you mentioned this, is incredibly divisive. And uh, there's been a real issue with the influence of special interests and major resources coming into these elections. Could you comment a little bit about sort of your approach to going forward as it relates to special interest money, recusing yourself if you have connections, things like that? Because it seems to me like the biggest issue with our Supreme Court beyond just sort of the partisanship is sort of the lack of sense that, um, you know, that everything's fair and transparent. And if people have relationships that would influence them, that th that, that there's no longer any sort of, um, you know, transparency of that, and that those influences are heavily involved in, in decision-making. Could, could you talk a little bit more about your thoughts on that and, and how well, you it, would do as a judge? It, right, right. And, it, it, and Matt, it really goes to the heart of integrity. It goes to the heart of people having faith in our court. Our, our court as an institution is to be independent, and it is to, to such that it can hold the executive and legislative branch in check if they are essentially going beyond their constitutional authority. And, and, and it, is the, it is the Constitution, the lens through which we all must ensure that our rights and liberties are protected. Uh, and so I, I think it's extremely important uh, to have a strong and independent voice on the court, one that isn't beholden to politics or party or special interests. And you need to at least have the intellectual honesty and the integrity to recognize what is a conflict of interest. And I, I, I believe that judges should recuse themselves when there is a, an apparent conflict of interest or the appearance of a conflict of interest, because what we're trying to do is ensure that people have faith and integrity in the decisions. Uh, and so I'm, I will hold that banner very high to ensure that there's integrity on our court. Well, Judge, we want to thank you for not only for running, but taking some time today to tell us a little bit more about your campaign. Let our listeners know if they want to get more information, where they should go to find out more. And of course, we'll have stuff on our site, but uh, where they can go uh, and find stuff from the campaign. Well, they can go to joedonaldforjustice.com. Uh, they can like me on Facebook. Uh, we're sending out the messages all the time. If they signed up, sign up, give us an email address. We'll make sure that they will get notices of events uh, and uh, messages and, and information on the campaign. Well, again, thanks a lot. We're really thrilled to announce this endorsement today. We we stand with uh, uh, Congresswoman Gwen Moore, who's also endorsed you, and uh, former uh, U.S. Senator Herb Cole. So we're really excited to announce this today. Thanks a lot for joining us, and uh, best of luck, and hope you have a great day. All right, thank you. So we are going to move on to what's been happening in the state this week, and that starts with the state of the state. Walker uh, had a state of the state, what was it, Monday, Tuesday? Whatever. Monday night. Jorna. I'd like your thoughts. I, I know this is something you generally, it's kind of like Oscar night. You get the friends over, have some drinks. What was happening at the Taylor household for the state of the state? Um, uh, when was it again? Uh, it was this week. Jonah. Oh, well, here's how I know that it was this week because I paid zero attention and did <sighs> not actually watch the state of the state. What? I know. But I do know, I was reminded that it was the state of the state when I received a extensive series of Twitter-esque emails from longtime podcast listener Jonathan Levine, oh. who was using email <laughs> as his personal Twitter feed <laughs> at me. So apparently Scott Walker, who I 
just don't care what he says anymore, frankly, because it's just a bunch of lies and lying liars who lie about things anyway, <laughs> oh. um, about Wisconsin and jobs and creation of jobs and lazy workers, blah, blah. Um, so apparently he, once again, you know, attacked workers and education under the guise of fixing it. And yeah, no, lackluster. Well, look. We joke, but it's actually damn true, right? We, we've got somebody who a year ago was giving a state of the state, and it was everyone knew was the beginning of the launch of his presidential run, which at that time people thought had a high hopes for, <laughs> right? And holy smokes, completely different a year later. And then Robert, actually, no, you listened to it, and um, Jordan is not far off, right? This thing lacked real substance. Why don't you give us your, your take on it? Well, as always, it was always about all about Scott. Well, he and, is very important. And Scott's trying to rehabilitate himself. So, again, trying to take credit for the anemic recovery uh, that has gone worse here than any Midwestern state and Feel one of the, the worst in the country. And say how low unemployment is, right? A wonderful and, statistic. Right. You know, pick whatever statistic makes him look okay. And that the problem is all these job openings, all these lists and lists of job openings without skilled people to take them. I remember when uh-huh. Ronald Reagan said, because this is about conservatives, not just Scott Walker, during the recession of the early 80s that almost destroyed his presidency. Look, I looked in the WAN ads, the Washington Post, and there are lots of WAN ads. It's that level, okay? And so... No acknowledgement that not only do we not have enough jobs for the people looking for the jobs, uh, but that all of the job increases in the state of Wisconsin have been at the poverty wage end of the spectrum, and we've not replaced the middle class and upper income jobs that were lost during the Great Recession. And he has no plan to do so because he, his idea of help being helpful is to give money to companies that are outsourcing more jobs than they're allegedly creating for the state money because helping well-connected CEOs is good government, according to Scott Walker. So I think it falls flat to the extent – oh, by the way, one other thing, I, lest I forget. Uh, he is reducing dependency. Read other people. Uh-huh. Mead people of color in Milwaukee, right? And uh, so, and this is going to get people a job because they'll have self-worth now because they're going to have to have job training uh, forced upon them in order to get food. And so with no acknowledgement that there aren't enough jobs for people and there's certainly not even transportation to get to the horrible jobs that are involved, that are available in the, out, in the outskirts of the Wow counties so, in the Milwaukee area. And so we have two things. Here's the problem why it doesn't work because people who he thinks he's addressing – uh, white people, his base, right, with the it's all those other people's fault and I'm punishing them, know that they and their family, their, fr- their network of friends are, have, are, are making less money than they were before, are more economically insecure than they were before, and if they've lost their job, are having trouble finding one. And so the, the message doesn't comport with people's lived experience anymore. Sounds a bit like the whistle to Bob Gannon, if you, uh-huh. what you're suggesting there. The, the, the dog, dog yeah, the absolutely. human whistle this time. Yes. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's playing into some of those same things. Isolate Milwaukee, it's a separate thing. It's not a part of Wisconsin. It's not connected to the success of my area. I should not have any concern about it. And, of course, want to reference, um, we've talked about this in past weeks, and uh, David Bowen's excellent comments that really got to the heart of that and really expose that for how fraudulent it is and and there is no future if if we're isolated that way and and here's the key if you go to wausau just take one example people don't think things are great 
People think there is an economic opportunity for themselves and their children, they're, and they're terribly afraid that the jobs that are left are going to leave, right? They're still there, are going to leave, and Walker's policies actually encourage that. And so they're, uh, you know, they're not sitting around Wausau saying, God darn, now that all those people on food stamps in Milwaukee uh, get drug tested and, and, and have work requirements, everything's going to be great. That's not – so this, this – this, the, the ideology well, look, at some point is so different from the lived experience, it falls flat no matter how well-crafted it might well, be. That may be, but the reality of the lived experience for everyone is they're all getting drug tested, right? And we know that that runs across the state. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how all this continues to play out. I mean, the reality is you got a governor here who goes out and talks and basically tries to say we need to improve education and worker training, right? This guy has single-handedly gutted all of that infrastructure. I mean, that's been his entire agenda all the way from Act 10, you know, whether it be going directly at the workforce uh, to defunding both tech systems, cutting the UW system, right? And everyone's well aware of the historic cuts in K through 12. You just can't do that and then show up the next year at the state of the state and be like, I got $3 million for workforce training. Barely, you can do whatever you, you want. dummies, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, essentially, it's like, y'all so dumb. I got three million in training for you, right? Like it's just it's not gonna change the dynamics. And the reality is the workers that are on the sidelines are, you know, people that, as Robert mentioned, we're talking about a lot of poverty jobs that are being created. And the few jobs that are not, that are technical or skilled, they have so driven down the wages for those jobs that many of those highly skilled workers just aren't going to go, you know, take a welding job for 12 bucks an hour. Well, well, that's right. And so he listens to his business corporate buddies, not small business, saying, oh, I can't find any welders, just for example. Well, what are you paying welders? You know, in other words, if you, I'm sure if you would pay welders a, a, a decent wage, you would get welders. They got uh, the because, basic economics wrong on this, right? Because right? there know, are, according the- to uh, Mar- Mark Levine from UWM, there are 30,000 uh, unemployed welders in the Midwest. So it's a question of whether you're making it worth their while or not. No now, welders. the other thing is Matt's absolutely right about the education cuts because he's trying to make it like he's doing all these initiatives to create more skilled workers and they're little solution ets. They're not really real spending because he doesn't really want to spend it's on anything like this. By the way, he's in a bizarre position of conservative incumbent trying to say, government's working, but I hate government, <laughs> right? But here's what he said on campaign tour yesterday. About five or six years ago, so distance past, this is quoting Walker, the concern was all about jobs, 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 creating jobs. To now, we've seen over time as the economy has improved in, our, in this state, the shift is how do we fill these jobs? Yes, it's just this bumper crop yeah. of good jobs and not enough skills, even if you believe his idea that he's improving anyone's Well, skills. Robert, when you go from 49th to like mid-30s, it is, it's the salad days here in Wisconsin. <laughs> So we're gonna we're gonna quickly move from a whole lot of nothing, uh, Walker's state of the state, to the actual activity that's going on in the legislature, where the mischief making and the uh, bad deeds go unchecked. And this week, particularly on Wednesday through the Senate, we had a number of very uh, lousy pieces of legislation go through, including uh, civil service deform, essentially the gutting and, and ripping apart of our uh, our historic. And, and Robert, I know you can talk more about this as someone who studied Bob LaFollette, but straight out of the progressive era, civil service, that basically it was set up to make sure that politics didn't intrude into the work of government, you know, and, and this bill rolls back a lot of that, puts hiring and DOA, Department of Administration, which is 
the governor's chief administrative arm, right? So like, if there was going to be a direct connect to politics, that's exactly where you'd put a streamlined hiring process. Uh, so, of course, Robert, uh, get your thoughts first. Jorna also on, on civil service and sort of where, where we're headed here. Well, look, it's like we're being forced to relive history and, and repeat all the old mistakes. You know, we ha used to have government that was a patronage system where you got a job because you were a party loyal to, loyalist of some kind and you weren't qualified in the least. And government was a, basically a way to pay bribes to people who worked on campaigns, okay, with a <laughs> job. like Scott Walker's county executive right. office. Wisconsin. Right. <laughs> and so now we're going to get rid of, and by the way, the anecdotes they've used to justify this, like the ridiculous stuff that happened under Jeff Playley and the Railroad, uh, at the, the railroad Commission, we're not... We're not caused by civil service. They were—you could have fired the people who had sex in their office at any time under current law. It's oh, just like Jeff Playley, right? Well, just <laughs> don't uh, get misstarted. The, la the last public act, I guess, of uh, Jeff Playley. Anyway, so look, I mean, what we're doing here is saying that we're not going to have exams anymore. Why we just need resumes, right? So we're going to have a more subjective system. Um, and then what we're saying is, is that you're not, things aren't going to be based on seniority. You won't have bumping rights. You see, so what that does is says you can't count on a long career in civil service. A reason, a lot of reason people who go do government service do government service. Get rid of that and centralize it basically in a merit system, quote unquote merit, which really means political preference system, and have discipline decided by the political appointees in the Department of Administration. Uh, so this is a real step. This streamlining is all about getting their, the people they want in and being able to fire anyone they want. So forget about whistleblowing, right? Forget about anyone saying that we're violating state law, say, and how we're handling uh, pollution, whether we're regulating or not, because they will be able to, to fire you very easily. Civil service protection is supposed to make sure that civil, that civil servants work for us, not for politicians. Well, <laughs> without trying to be too tongue-in-cheek here, oh, wait, Wisconsin, you just described, what, the 1800s Wisconsin or the 2016 Wisconsin as it has been enacted throughout Governor Walker's cronyistic, you know, WEDEC and other appointments for highest campaign contributors. Um, you know, a lot of people, you're right, Robert, they feel the call to serve. They serve government, and that's what civil service is about for a lot of folks. And so to... And it's a good, solid job for a family-supporting job in many cases that people are comfortable staying in because it provides quality benefits, it provides food on their table, and that they have a path to advancement without having to worry, as long as they do their job, that they are going to you know, get fired. So... So it's disappointing, but it is not surprising. You know, what's next? We're going to repeal child labor laws or, um, you know, some other draconian. They reduce opportunity and freedom for children. <laughs> you know, That's maybe, true. Maybe they Those eight-year-olds really want to. <laughs> maybe they want to get going, right? So Dave Hansen put it very well. Dave Hansen's been one of the very outspoken opponents. Quote, the result will be an increase in cronyism and corruption and the furthering of an agenda that rewards wealthy friends and donors at the expense of average friends and families and without their knowledge. Uh, the, this, this seems to me to be right on par with perhaps we could create some sort of new state elections board type mechanism. You know, we went from a nonpartisan government accountability board so we could... Remember have... where we streamlined this before where they could hire whoever they wanted. Remember WEDEC... 
Yeah. It would got rid of all that red tape and civil service stuff and boy. Bang up job. Bang up job. Yeah. So maybe we can get more uh, 20-something Walker loyalists into positions of importance uh, in, 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 our, in our state service. Well, this whole discussion has got me thinking about, you know, now they're moving to a resume. You know you know how resumes start off with what your, An objective. your objective is? I will look forward to reading Get what these, patronage ob- <laughs> what these job objectives from are. Governor Walker. Oh, that sounds good. Higher. Wait, objective. Be able to make enough money to contribute maximum contributions to all Republican state candidates. No, no, no. You're missing how this actually works. All earnings to the GOP infrastructure. No, 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 no. That that that's old school. New school is get daddy to give a million dollars to Governor okay. Walker. All right. We're done. We gotta move on. No, I want I wanna hit on uh, obviously uh, another very serious uh, deform or a uh, bad piece of uh, More legislation. More of my lady parts. Yes, yes. Jorna, I want to get you to take the lead on this. We had a couple <laughs> bills that moved, that went through, that essentially defunded. Oh, wait, just because I'm well, a lady, I'm the only one that can talk about lady parts? Yes, absolutely. No, um, obviously, in all seriousness, we're talking about $7.5, I believe, million dollars of federal funding that essentially is being yanked away. And, I mean, look, this is completely political, but, Jorna, why I want you know you to comment on it, right? I mean... The hypocrisy here around access to contraception, basic health for women versus men in this legislation is stunning and shocking, <laughs> but I guess not given where we live. But Let me tell you a little quick story. Um, so in between Christmas and New Year's, I needed to go into the doctor, and my regular doctor was booked, and I needed to get in quickly. And you knew where I could call and get in right away was Planned Parenthood. So I called Planned Parenthood and I went in and they were professional and they took care of all of my needs and they answered all of my questions. And I walked out of there feeling like it was an absolutely, you know, great experience. And you know what? I thanked everyone in there for the work that they do because these sort of relentless attacks on people who are just trying to provide me with reproductive health care is ridiculous and it is women shaming and it is misogynistic and it is all of these horrible things just to have one more conservative male attack an institution that is trying to provide me with quality affordable healthcare choices so i'm well, appalled jorna you're you're one of about 60,000 patients every year that that you know use Planned Parenthood and certainly uh, for things other than abortion. Right, 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 right. No, absolutely. And of course, this is the whole sticking point. They use abortion in their endless jihad against it yep. uh, to essentially go after an organization that's primarily providing a you know just a broad range of health care. That a goes, very broad yeah, range. Yeah, a absolutely. very and you know while I was in the waiting room. There were men that came in, and they served the men that came in with Absolutely. quality, affordable, in fact, free health care. This is where the right is completely fraudulent in their claims about what values they actually represent. You'll hear from the right, from their elected leaders, their various pundits and their right-wing talk shows, that they believe strongly in the Constitution and the First Amendment, and that's an outrage. Anyone should ever be punished for their views, their political views, right? And they'll use an example, their trumped-up thing about the IRS, right, where the IRS is so supposedly posing, uh, uh, going after all of these uh, Tea Party groups, these innocent Tea Party groups that weren't doing any politics uh, with nonprofit money, excuse me, uh, at least that's the narrative. So here's the thing, right? They are singling out a healthcare provider 
who they consider a political enemy and punishing their enemy. Okay, so this would be literally like saying that we're Aurora Healthcare or UW Hospital, we're going to punish you. And second, they're punishing them because they are exercising with not this money, but other resources at other locations, a constitutionally protected right. Okay, and so they are punishing them for their const- for constitutionally protected activity. Uh, so basically, for their political views and their views and and their views about women in society. So. If next time you hear a right winger talking about individual freedom and talking about the importance of the First Amendment, uh, First Amendment apparently applies only to spending millions of dollars to corrupt our political process, right? Just remember that they're perfectly fine with using the heavy hand of government. They're supposed to be the ones against the heavy hand of government, right? To punish political opponents who disagree with them, yep. because otherwise, once you because otherwise there's no cause for this because. The reason Planned Parenthood is so popular in all the polls is not because of a bunch of ads. It's not a bunch of branding. It's because so many women have experienced good health care and gotten access to basic health care from Planned Parenthood. Yeah, uh, Janet Bewley really brought this up very well and talked about this, the irony and this contradiction that they'll defend the Constitution, but yet they won't defend something that the Supreme Court has laid out as a legal choice. And that's if you just talk about the, what, 2% of the funding, right, and side funding. And we know what the vast majority is. And Bewley was also excellent in bringing up that how awful this is as it relates to geographically where you live. Jorna, you live in the city. You were able to go. And where Janet Bewley lives, like, that's that's not an option for a lot of women. And she brought up, right, I am astonished by the unwillingness to walk a mile in someone else's shoes and acknowledge there are parts of the state that don't look like where you might live, right? You know, and in particular as it relates to access to health care. So we're going to continue to track this. This assault on Planned Parenthood yes, seems unending. With the Dewey Strobel who said in the floor debate at some of the press coverage, oh, I, there's plenty of access as far as I can tell. Yep. So there you have it. <laughs> yeah, I hope that he gets his lady parts checked frequently. Uh, anyways, well, we need to move on. Um, we want to, before we get to our furloughs and to Paul Ryan, we do want to mention uh, yesterday in the Capitol, there were hundreds of immigrants who went to the Capitol. Great personal risk, right? And spoke very loudly against the targeting of sanctuary cities. And for our listeners who don't know, sanctuary cities are cities that are trying to find legal ways to uh, basically not enforce uh, or ask all the time about people's status, uh, whether they're a resident or not, in order to make sure that folks don't feel like they're completely living under threats and can't actually participate, offer advice to police. So we want, we'll have links to more information about this. Um, and I'm sure we'll be talking more about this in the future, but uh, shout out to those folks who got up and went and really spoke out and showed, right, like, I mean, these are folks who are under, you know, they don't have the same legal protections everybody has, and hundreds went to show up and speak out against this. This is very profound, given um, what we've talked about in terms of what's happening in the state, how rights are being repealed. Uh, so shout out to those those leaders who got up and um, went and spoke and talked about why this was so dangerous for Wisconsin. Uh, and, of course, to uh, all the groups, including Voces de la Frontera, who helped organize uh, that event. Uh, very, very profound and, and important. And, and more great 
right-wing conservative thinking on people's rights. Human rights, by the way, because I'm sure we'll hear from the right-wing squawkers, they're not legal. They don't have rights. So you don't have any basic human rights, right? Uh, and by the way, this coming from the nation of immigrants. But we have the sponsor, Representative John Spiros of Marshfield, saying that the bill doesn't require police to ask about citizenship. It only bars cities from prohibiting them from doing so. <laughs> It okay. doesn't even make any sense. So that's great. It doesn't require that they violate your rights. It just allows them to violate your rights. Uh, great. By the way, <laughs> coward. You. What a coward. Yeah. And again, what Robert just read, that was the sponsor of the bill's response because he was sitting in a room packed with people who showed up and said, how you dare you do this? You know, they put their humanity right in front of him, and that statement shows he's a coward. He couldn't even admit what his bill did. Nice job. Good work to those folks. Uh, that's actually should be very inspiring to all of us as we, you know, charge into 2016. Um, and with that, we're getting to the weekend furloughs. But real quick. Oh, oh shoot, why shoot. Are you trying oh, to take my God. My Paul Ryan. Ryan Watch. Oh, jeez. All right. I am terribly sorry. Ryan Paul Ryan Watch. Watch. Join us. What's well, going on? Well, Paul Ryan... You know, he's, he's had a few years to introduce something, but he's decided that 2016 it is to introduce the alternative to when, when Obamacare is eventually repealed on oh its 190 my. millionth vote. Paul Ryan has the plan somewhere in his head, and it will be introduced in 2016 to repeal the alternative to Obamacare. Is this like Nixon's secret peace plan during well, the, the 1968 elections in Vietnam? <laughs> the plan appears to not be written. And his and and the Washington Post article is quick to point out that he does not say, nor does his staff say, that it will come to a vote in 2016. Ooh, that's bravery. Has Ted Cruz seen this plan? Uh, <laughs> Paul Ryan, in, in his leading life. every day. <laughs> so he well, went from smirking behind the president through the entire State of the Union to um, leading on non-existent legislative proposals. So Paul Ryan will be writing his uh, plan this weekend. Jorna, what will you be doing? Uh, this weekend, actually, uh, I will be running our Wisconsin Hunter Jumper Association. My horse association yes. uh, has our annual awards banquet where George the Horse. The champion? The champion is picking up two end-of-the-year championships and an end-of-the-year reserve championship. Will you just make sure when George goes back to his stable that he places those <laughs> right next to that Reno character? Oh, shush. Just put it right in Reno's face. Robert, what are you doing this weekend? Well, before the weekend, I'm headed to Eau Claire. Woohoo! We love Eau Claire. Organizing director Kevin Kane to launch an organizing co-op uh, drive. So the second organizing co-op. We very have exciting. one in Southeast Wisconsin already. So that's going to be kind of a furlough. Uh, haven't made a lot of like Matt style, like mud biking plans for the weekend nope, yet, yeah. but I can report, Matt will not consider this probably violates furlough, furlough rules, but I'm going to be having a confab with Lewis Fortas, the publisher of the Shepherd Express, to talk about the right-wing uh, electronic media monopoly in, uh, in, in Metro Milwaukee and what might be done about it. So, Well, I still miss Dave Berkman, by the way. I miss media oh, musings. Oh, he was one of my favorite college professors. Uh, he was a professor of mine, yes. He was great. He scared the living tar oh out God, of every communication student. Yes. At like 8 in the morning, <laughs> too. God, he was cranky. Oh, he was great. Anyways, uh, that's the crazy Shepherd, right? 
So uh, this weekend, it is, um, my wife is, her birthday is actually early next week. So we're going to go out this weekend, do a little uh, date night. Uh, Very much looking forward to that. Uh, But preparing, I'm not, I don't actually, Robert, have any big plans this weekend. No mud bikes. We were going to go to Iowa and race uh, in a barn on concrete, but not going to do that. Next week, I will be going to New Orleans, so I'll have a real, true, legit furlough with my wife. We're going to be celebrating a a year-late 15th anniversary uh, trip. So with that, I want to thank Judge Joe Donald for coming on and telling us about his campaign and Obviously, we're very excited about uh, his campaign and our support for it. And, of course, want to thank Brian Woolridge, who makes the podcast happen every week, our producer. And we will see you all next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin Podcast.